Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and it is March 5th, 2015. And what's going on in the world? Well, in the United States, we're looking at record-breaking cold temperatures. Hello. This is, uh, wow. Uh, I want to say this is the coldest February that we've had in Chicago since 1875. It's just unreal. Um, yeah, and it's it's a little unusual that we have that many this many states below freezing right now. It's kind of a big deal this whole weather thing we've been having this year. It's very unusual. <laughs> but uh, other than that, we have a great show for you this week. Um, we are talking with uh, Mr. Luke Riches from Matchroom Sports, and uh, we're going to be discussing the the newly announced points ranking system that they have adopted this year for determining the uh, the team members of the uh, United States Moscone Cup team. So uh, we'll be getting a little bit more information on that uh, a little later. Uh, Rick Bryant talks to Pat Devaney of Devaney Cues, uh, so stick around for that. And, of course, we have your one-minute pool instructor. I'm Scott Lee. And this is Randy G. This is the One Minute Pool Instructor. So what have we got going this week? You know, I'd like to talk a little bit about teaching people how to draw the ball. That seems to be something people struggle with a lot. Aim low and hit it hard. Well, there you go. Or jack up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a real good one. Jack up the butt to draw the cue ball. Now, you can do that. You know that. Oh, sure you can. But not very accurately and not very uh, reliable. Well, you know, you, there's a lot of ways to draw the ball. Well, but tell us. What there, do you, what do you do There's some easy ways. Students? Well, you know, the first thing that I want to do with my students is I want them to understand the difference between hitting the ball, what we consider three tips low, which is maximum draw, which so, is really low on the cue ball. So what's a tip? Uh, well, how do you classify a tip? Well, I look at a tip as... The size of the contact between the tip and the ball. That's at, about three millimeters. It's about three millimeters or an eighth of an inch. If you look at a red circle cue ball, that represents the yeah, size of the right. contact. Okay. So <clears throat> the first thing is that most people never can hit the ball three tips low because they miss cue. First thing is they think they can hit it that low, and so of course you can't. Second thing is they tense up because they think you have to hit the cue ball at a high rate of speed to make it draw at all, which isn't true. Now, it might be true if you're table length away, but the truth is you learn how to draw the ball by being close up, keep your cue stick as level as reasonable for the shot, and hit it three tips low. Well, and learn to let the cue do the work, not drive it through the ball. Yeah, I've always been taught you draw the ball with spin, not speed. Right. But I know that they're sisters, right? They are. So it takes a little speed to put spin on the ball. But... Certainly does. Okay. So what else do you do then? Well, the, the, <clears throat> the three concepts that we try to convey to our students are understanding that you have a static range of motion with your arm, which means you pull your tip back and you swing your cue forward from the same start and finish position every time for most standard operating uh, process shots, which is how we play pool. 80-90% of all of our shots are that way. We're not talking about being jacked up or shooting over a ball or, or on the rail or something like that. Standard just, shot. Yeah, normal shooting. 
And, and so understanding that if you hit the ball really low, you can swing the cue really slowly if you're close together and draw the ball really easily. And this is where the, the uh, cradle comes into play. If you grip the cue too tightly, you're going to, first of all, probably miss where you're aiming on the cue ball, and second, not get the same kind of transfer of energy from the, the cue stick to the cue ball as if you have a really light cradle. Well, you know, that'll make a really good subject. Let's cover that next week. Yeah, that's a great subject, too. But you want to, if you want to draw the cue ball, practice close up between the cue and the object ball at first. Well, Keep, what what cue, would you suggest? Diamond apart? A, a diamond, two diamonds inches, at the yeah. most. Okay. Uh, and then progressively work your way out to farther up. Then you can learn how to uh, transition speed and spin. You start out with a slow swing. Then you can, you can move your way up to where as long as you can hit that three tips low, you can be four or five diamonds away and hit the cue stick, uh, hit the cue ball at a, a pretty good pace, and you'll get a lot of draw out of it. So a, a miscue in practice is what then? An opportunity to improve. Yeah, yep, absolutely. It's just more information, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's a that's a good point, Randy. Is that what I see a lot of people do? The first thing they do when they miscue is they take out their little tip tool and yeah. start messing yeah. with their tip. Yeah. You know, we we both miscue rarely. But we miss Q. I don't ever mess with my tip. Yeah, I, I miss chalk Q'd it. in 1968. <laughs> I think I miss Q'd a couple weeks ago, but uh, I, I have never uh, taken my tip tool out. I have one, but I don't use it. I just chalk the Q and work on a better stroke. So, so the stroke draws the, the puts the spin in the cue ball. The spin in the cue ball at collision makes the draw happen at proper. That's it. Okay. That's it. So. Um, Three tips down, is that a good place to start? Or? That's a great place to start because you can always come with a higher speed swing, but you can't hit lower to low. So if you don't get confident that you can hit three tips low, you're going to struggle with draw. You know, it's, while you're talking about it, it's my favorite position. I, I, all I do is go three tips down and hit at a different speed to get a different result. Exactly. Now, I don't always draw to three tips, but uh, it's my favorite position. And there you go. For the One Minute Pool Instructor, I'm Scott Lee. And this is Randy G. And we'll talk to you next week. And we'll talk about aiming uh, uh, versus focusing. See you then. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report. Brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. This is Mark Kentrell, your host. And uh, I'm kind of joined this week by Mr. Mike Howerton of AZ Billions. He's agreed to step in and do some uh, the production uh, producer job. And uh, he's going to kind of keep quiet, I think. But if there's anything that he has to say, he's more than welcome to jump in and uh, ask any questions that uh, he feels. Uh, He's, he's no surprise who my guest is this week, since it's been on the uh, Easy Billions forums. Uh, Mr. Luke Richards, executive extraordinaire, and the man with the plan behind the Moscone Cup. How are you today, Luke? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. Yes, jolly good here in England. Good. Weather's nice? Not particularly, but we, we it's, the, the light's staying out longer, so... We're getting towards the summer, I can feel it. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, there's been uh, 
all kinds of threads on the easy billies. I know that sometimes you take a look in there and you look at some of the things that go on. And uh, we were having a conversation uh, about something unrelated and uh, kind of said, well, do you want to do an interview? Do you want to talk about some of these issues that have been brought up uh, surrounding the Moscone Cup? And so uh, Luke kindly, kindly agreed and uh, said he's open to any question and to put this out on Easy Billiards to uh, try and get some, some questions. So where I'll start, Luke, where, where do you start? Uh, I've got, I'm going to start with the events um, themselves that are qualifiers for the Moscone Cup, uh, the USA yeah. team. And this came from, uh, well, myself, uh, Spartan, and B. Russell from the forums, um, so I'll, I'll word this in the same way that they're uh, probably wanting to word it. What made you pick the events, and why are bar table events uh, being used? Well, I mean, I guess in case you're living on another planet, you, you probably notice that there aren't actually that many $150,000 added events in the States this year or last year or the year before. So in the end, we, we kind of have a choice of two things, either just picking the team ourselves or the captain or whoever, or, or having a method by which some of the players in the team can qualify. And in, in, to enable, which we wanted to do, and, in, and to enable that to happen, you have to use the, the events that exist. And in, in all honesty, it's a bit thin on the ground at the moment. So we decided that we would use... Um, some bar table events and I understand some people think that that's not you know if it's played on nine foot tables why are you using seven foot tables but I mean in the end of the day the, 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 as I said before there's not a, a ton of events out there to choose from and so, so recognise the fact that bar table events may be deemed lesser they, they obviously have lesser points attached to them um, you know and it, 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 it's a difficult situation because as I say there's, there's not a lot out there but you know there's, there's probably enough events out there and there's lesser on the bar table so Players, if players do well in the bigger events or the, even the biggest event, it will probably overtake some higher finishes in the bar tables. So, uh, at the end of the day, Luke, you, you, basically all you're telling us is we don't have enough tournaments here in the uh, United States to create a points ranking system that's really worth anything, which that's not a, a terrible thing that you're saying, it's a fact. I'm not saying it's not worth anything. I'm just suggesting that, the, that you, you, if, if, you, if you want to do one, you have to use what's there, and, and this is what's there. So, uh, I mean, well, I mean, exactly. We were, talking in the office, you know, we were talking in the office the other day whether you, you could, in fact, next year, if it, if it works out, you could expand it into lots of events. If you look at something like the world golf rankings, every, pretty much every single pro event in the world, from the Masters and the open downwards has ranking points attached. And that's based on the, the, the price fund, the quality of the field and stuff like that. So there's an argument you could do a bigger series of events using lots of different events in the States with um, you know, much lesser points attached to the very small ones. But obviously that's something to be discussed for the future. But you know, in the end, like I say, you can only use what's there and that's what's there. Right, and that's kind of, I guess that's what most people are, are thinking. The ones who are not totally against bar boxes, the ones that are uh, thinking, 
well, what do you really have? You got Japanese Stone, you got the U.S. Open, Super Billy's Expo. You know, there's really not that many to pull from uh, to to make a, a ranking system work. So, um, I'm guessing, you know, that that's the reason the bar tables are there. Um, it does it does seem a little strange, you know, if you've got nine events, four of them are on bar tables, and four of them are eight ball and ten ball. Um, do you, is, is it the same answer for, for that, that you use an eight ball and ten ball as events? Well, I mean, yeah, that's again, that's a, you know, I, I personally think that if you have the top players and they play an eight ball or nine ball or ten ball, the, the, the you know, it's not like some guys can't play, Shane Ramboni can't play eight ball, but he's brilliant at nine ball and rubbish at ten ball. You know, guys like that are good at, at all disciplines of pool, at, which is probably the same for most of the top players. They can, you know, they can putt it at pretty much all of those disciplines. So I don't think there's an issue there. Okay. Um, the ranking system itself, and, you know, it's something that I express concern uh, with. This is maybe my, just my own question. Is Tom, well, what, why did it take so long? To, to come out with the ranking system based on the fact that we were uh, four events into the the, the 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 qualifiers that were available, four events in, before the uh, ranking system came out. Well, yeah, because we, I mean, we didn't, when you think about it, the last event finished in December and we didn't, we didn't address what we were going to do about it until you know, after that and pretty much into the new year, by which time some of the events, obviously a lot of the events were in the pipeline. And so then we just announced them one by one until we decided what the, the entire roster would be and then announced that. I mean, it's, I guess it's not perfect, but we weren't, we weren't in a position to announce the qualification for this year in, you know, August or July of 2014. So it, it was quite late, but again, that's kind of a, the nature of how it is over there. Okay, so the conspiracy theorists that say that you didn't come out with the ranking system until after the Reno um, bar table, U.S. bar table championship, so that you could pick who would win or who would have an advantage. That well, uh, well, no, we didn't. We didn't pick who who would win. The, the people who won won. That was not. We didn't pick them. They they won their matches and won the events. I mean. You know, at the end of the day, if we wanted to manipulate, we we could just pick players for the event. We don't. We could just say we're not doing any ranking. If we wanted X, Y, and Z player to be in the event, it would be quite within our powers to just say they're in it. So, I think the idea that some sort of manipulation that goes on is probably delusional at the very best. <laughs> but yeah, my, well, Mike and I actually we did a show together and we talked about it uh, last week. And Mike said the, the exact same thing. He said it don't make no sense. If they want to pick it, no, well, it, it, it I mean, it doesn't really. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just kind of, it's just for some people, for some, it gives people something to talk about, I guess. But, I mean, in the end, there's, there's, there's nine events. I mean, some are bigger than others, obviously. Um, and not everyone's going to play in every event. But, I mean, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll count for three of the spots. And, you know, interesting, the person running away with it already is Shane. And the, the other the, the, the other place guys are Scott Frost and Justin Bergman and Skylar Woodward. So you know you, you could argue that so far it's, it's names that people might actually want to see in the event anyway. So right. 
Uh, let me see a question, because I'm going to try and get through as many of these as I can. Um, okay. This one came from Hello Baby. I don't know if you've looked at this uh, thread, but it's from Hello Baby and uh, Jumping Joe. Um, no, I don't care. Let me see here. Does uh, Next Room... Oh, well, first of all, Hello Baby, good, pretty good question. What will happen to an American player who finishes 32 in the top 32 of a major, such as the World 9-Ball or 10-Ball or Japan? Um um, well, we looked we looked at that actually, and um, you know, people said, well, "Why don't you put those events in?" And the last, I think, the last three years of the World Nine Ball in in Qatar, only one American player has finished in the top thirty-two, of which they did in the, each year in the last three years, and that was Shane Van Boney. So he would have been the only player to have gained any ranking points from from those events. I mean, I mean, the reality is, is that the, the American turnout of those events is really low. Um, I don't know whether that's an ongoing thing or it will change, but you know, as it stands, they, you know, not many American players go to those events, and, and even less finish in the top 32. Um, you know, it would just, but if we did, it would probably just reinforce Shane's position, I suspect. Okay. Um, this is something that comes up quite a bit, and. Uh, Obviously, we've all got our own opinions on this, but what, does uh, the Metro ever consider doing Team North America? So that they, no, I, I, I think I, really, I, it's just to add Canada, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's like uh, people say that with that. I mean, at the end of the day, the Moscone Cup in Paul, whether you like it or not, is probably the strongest brand in Paul, and it's Europe versus America, and it's been going for 22 years, and it's very successful. And for what what would be the point of adding Canada or Mexico or something? It wouldn't you know? There's there's not if, if Canada was a was a massively superior, stronger pool playing nation to America, but you know it isn't, and I I, I wouldn't see any value whatsoever of of, of diluting the, the brand of the Moscone Cup to include Canada, and in, in which in probably in most given years there wouldn't be a Canadian player in it. Yeah, this. Uh, there's probably fans out there of Alex Pagelion and uh, Matt Craw, he's Canadian, and John Mora. And uh, maybe they think that having Alex on the team would give uh, the USA a better chance to uh, to come. It may or it may not, but I just think that's, you know, if you, if you put, you know, it, it may or may not give them a better chance. Or if you put any given other players who weren't American on the team, it may or may not give them a better chance. But that's really not what the event is. So it's not really anything we've considered at all. Okay. Well, it's been, like you say, it's been going the way it is. Uh, um, let me see what we got here. Yeah, that's the same uh, question. What chairs wanted to conduct the interview? Uh, I don't know why. Um, no. Pink Lady, uh, who's TV says Ralph Suke going to be on Team Europe? Uh, go ahead, I'll let you. It's a quick answer, I understand. But Pink Lady is the mouth from the South, and she's got an opinion on everything, and uh, she isn't yeah. afraid to express it. Yeah, I mean, which players are going to be on the team? There's really, it's, you know, if, if there's three spots to be gained in two wildcards, which will be determined at the end of October. So to say, on the sort of fifth of March, that Ralph Suko is going to be, and it would be, yeah, we wouldn't. Well, you basically wouldn't be able to say it. So if Ralph, if Ralph does well and gets one of the top three spots, he'd be in it. And then 
if he has a good season, he might be considered for one of the wild cards if he doesn't gain one of the automatic spots. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Part post nine is uh, why can't Madison decide whether it's the race to six or race to five? It's been alternating between five yeah. and uh, six. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of a historical thing, Mark, because when when we first did the the event in the USA, we kind of lost daytime sessions and had one long session, and you know I think we we had less we we had to, we increased it up to six six because it was um, I think long longer sessions, and then uh, when we went back in Europe, we reduced it back to five again. I think last year it was. Do you know, I can't even remember the time. I think it, I think it was five and then six, but we'll have a look at that. But it, it's not really a major issue. I mean, obviously six is preferable, but obviously you've got then got to fit the games in to the time slot, which is, and you want to try and avoid having to you know, pull matches because you're running out of time and all that sort of stuff, which you do get sometimes in live events. Well, um, Island Drive though in Colorado, I've met, I've met him, I believe, uh, up there. Um, he had some nice things to say and some suggestions. Um, I'm sure you can read those and take those for uh, suggestions for what you will, but obviously I accept the compliment. It's, uh, it's nice to hear a good thing said about your product. Um, I've got B. Russell again here. Um, why was the change made to the selection system this year? Does Mark Wilson support the change? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, because in Europe, as I say, we've, we've generally had this more or less the same qualification or picking procedure for quite a good few years now. And in the States, it changed. But I think it, well, it, it went back to the 20th edition where we 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 kind of handpicked both teams to get all the, quote, legends of the Moscone Cup from over the years. Um, and... So it went very, you know, as every anyone who was there to witness it or watched it would argue, it went it went quite badly with the USA getting tanked and it ending a day early, and it was just a bit of a shambles all round, really. So we we just it was kind of recognised by, by most people that that something really had to change, and um, and Mark Wilson was involved, and it really only worked for him to pick the players that he wanted to to work with in that initial year. Which was a kind of a bit of a, a year zero for it, really. And then, but once once that happened, and they they, they came over last year, and they were, you know a good bunch of lads and, and a decent enough team and all that, and they, they they gave it a bit of a go, and and some players didn't play so well, and and they ended up getting beaten. But I think after that, after that initial first year of that, I think by having by having qualification, you have to put an aspirational element into it, whereby any pool player who's you know fancies it and is playing well can can win and, and get points and, and then end up winning in the team and that, that, that has to be there otherwise it becomes just a, a private club in that respect But so we have changed yeah. it back to a ranking system which isn't perfect but it's um, it does give everybody a chance right and, and you know I've got I, I know I like uh, I'm, I can say something good about either way uh, to be honest but but the, the only thing to me with the ranking system is that it's tough for people to complain about who's on the team if they're qualified to get on the team, you know? No matter who it is, yeah, it's yeah. to be me. If I get, yeah, we found I that. Got, 
Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, so we, we, yeah, with, with, with European players last year, you know, there might have been one or two who think, well, I should have got one of the wild card picks. But in the end, you, you had, you know, three chances to, to get into the side and you didn't, didn't get enough points or you didn't win enough matches. So once that happens, it's very difficult for you to complain that, um, that you're not in it. And, then, you know, people, there's always people who feel hard done by, which is fair enough, that's, that's natural. But at the end of the day, there's only five players in the team, so you can only select... There's only five guys who are going to make it, and when you only pick five, there's other people who, who aren't in it who, who might feel as, as, as if they should have been in it. But that is life sometimes, unfortunately. Right. Um, there's not, I guess, with what? There's this cool cat, Nine Lives, who's uh, there with the uh, pink lady, um, clarifying hers. Well, I guess the, the feeling is that there's not enough uh, promotion. That go on that goes on here in the United States for the Moscone Cup, and more attention is given to uh, Europe and Asia, and mainly probably because they're broadcast live uh, in, to Europe and Asia during the event. But what is what is the reason why uh, is the USA that small of a market share uh, for the Moscone Cup? Well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, you could pretty much reply that argument to pool in general. I mean, it's, you know, how much pool is on television in America? And the answer is very little. And, um, you know, that's the kind of level of interest from broadcasters, which is for people, kind of people who we deal with. And, and you know, we do, the Moscow Cup Cup's live in the UK, where, where it's kind of always been live, and Sky Sports do the production. It's kind of in their December, it's a big part of their December sort of um, calendar. Uh, it's also live in Australia and the Middle East and other countries, C- countries where we, we have match and sport have kind of d- deals with these with these uh, stations in these countries. And they take a lot of our products, darts and snooker and stuff like that. And when, when when events are live, that's available to them. And some of them take it up and show show it live. And but in the States, it's, it's much tougher. The TV market is much more rigid and, and how it's structured and how how it's financed, it's, 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 there's less likelihood that somebody's going to say, yeah, let's put this on, it looks great. There has to be some really solid financial reasons to do it. And it's not that we don't promote it in the States. I mean, it's still, you know, most of the pool fraternity, I suspect it's, it's, all, it's a fairly um, a fairly well-known event, probably not a, not amongst the, the, the millions of people who play pool on a monthly basis, say, but, you know, to, to, to get... To, to, to get something across to a mass audience, you, you have to spend a mass amount of money, which obviously at this stage the event's not let there to be to be done. I mean, we we really, I mean, last year we were on ESPN Four and we got a good response from them. They really enjoyed it. And I'm sure this year we'll be on the same or, or better or whatever. But you know, everything's in small blocks in pool. You you know, you 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 work hard at it and you try and chip away. And every now and again you get a result somewhere and then you build it up a little bit and. And that's kind of how it works. But, you know, it's not that we, we neglect America, but it's um, it's kind of the nature of the beast, really, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I'm not asking for any numbers, but I guess I should word it as far as market share. Who's your biggest... Where's your biggest viewership come from for Moscone Cup lives? You know? Um, it's probably the UK. I mean, it does, it does all right in the UK. I mean, it's not... You know, it doesn't rate like Premiership football or anything, but it, you know, it, it does okay, and some years do better than others. But um, you know, it, 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 you know, Paul's, we do darts as well over here, and it's um, 
uh, darts, live darts is on TV in the UK probably not every week, but every every couple of weeks, every two or three weeks, there's a live darts tournament, either on ITV, Sky Sports or ITV or Eurosport or whoever. And, you know, when you have that level, it's it's really easy to promote a sport and to, to, to a wider audience. But, you know, when you look at the Moscone Cup, it's it's the, it's, it's like we, we do the Moscone Cup live on Sky and we do the World Cup of Paul. But, but that's kind of it. You know, that's for Paul in the UK. That's that's your lot. And it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a it's a tough sell in anywhere as, as well as the USA. But ratings wise, it does pretty good in the UK, I have to say. Well, that actually surprises me. I thought it wouldn't do as well as, let's say, China or the Philippines or somewhere. No, like China, China and the Philippines are—they're—they're uh, strange markets. And I mean, in the end, the, the, the point about the Moscone Cup because it's because it's Europe versus America. It's a, that's a, for most people who are sports fans who watch sports regularly. That's kind of a really easy concept to understand and to cheer about, and, and that's what's happened. People. People people get involved in the event. They love it when it comes around every every year. But if that's that's kind of their that that would be their involvement in pool for the year. Yeah, well, you, we're in March, beginning of March, and we're already talking about this event that's going to happen in December. You know, and I think people talk about the Moscone Cup well uh, during the, in the, the pool and billiards world or circles. Um, they talk about it from now leading, well, they talk about leading all the way up to it. Then when it's over, they talk about how good or how bad everybody did. And then as soon as that's done, we get through Christmas and it's back to what's going to happen with the Moscone Cup. So it's, you know, it is a, it is a big deal for people. I, I, I'm going to say over here, but I mean, when you're on the Easy Billions forums, there's, uh, people from all over the world on there. So uh, I can't just say that that's uh, exclusive to the way people feel here. Hey, Luke, I just wanted to jump in real quick because we're talking about ratings and that sort of thing. Um, Something that I'm curious about is with the recent domination by Team Europe, are you seeing your ratings go up? Are you seeing them go down? Is there... Is there a long-term future for the event if the U.S. can't be competitive? Uh, well, that's a very good question, uh, Mike, because, you know, in the end, from, as, as the people who, who, who operate the event, you know, <clears throat> what we most, what we most, like most of all, would be for the USA to win, uh, you know, and as soon as possible, uh, because obviously it's what, you know, when you look at an event, a similar event, I mean, the Ryder Cup, which obviously is one of the biggest sports events in the world, you know, that's starting to suffer from the fact that the USA get beaten every year. You know, they're starting to talk about what can we do about it, and, and the you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge, hugely moneyed event, and they're looking, you know, they're thinking, well, you know, do our revenue start to decrease when it becomes, it's becoming one-sided every time? But, but obviously... You could apply similar to the Moscone Cup, but most certainly we want the USA to be more competitive. But as to its long-term future with the USA, I, mean, I don't think it really works as anything other than Europe versus the USA. I mean, you know, people say, "Oh, well, you have an Asian team," but you know, having been to Asia and been around Asian pool players from different countries, you know, you'd end up having a team where the players couldn't talk to each other because they don't have common languages and 
you know, whether they still feel the same. You know, I've, the Moscone Cup, all the sports we're in, it's the one where I've seen the most people, players cry at the Moscone Cup over the years. There's no, there's no sport or event that we do where more players have cried. And I think that probably tells you what it means to them or how how they see it. And, you know, for, for people to feel that much about losing or winning a sports event means that it, it, it means everything to them. And I'm not sure you could you could ever get that feeling or that emotion with sort of put together sides from different parts of the world. And I think, you know, I'm, I think the Amer- America have got, you know, they've got enough good players there. It's just getting it all together and getting it all to, to come together in the same time in the same week in December. I don't think, I don't think they've, that they've, they've got terrible players who can't win. I mean, I think they've got plenty of great players. But I just think it's it's, it's getting it all together and getting a bit of belief in it and, uh, and, and getting it all to click at the same time. You don't see a time that might happen in the future where you go to your partners in these in these various uh, cable outlets and they just say, you know what, Europe just beats America every year. Nobody cares anymore. We're just not interested. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I, I can't say that may never happen. I mean, it's it's you know anything can happen, but. I think the, the fact that it, if, if the Moscone Cup took place every every two months, it might be different. But the fact is, it takes place once a year, and by the time it comes around, most people have probably forgotten what happened last year. But um, and also the other thing to consider as well for for but when it's when it's the, the production is is put together and financed by a UK company, which is Sky. You know, most of their viewers on that basic level, they they love seeing America get tanked every year. So. On that basis, it still has, has a lot of value in that respect. I mean, it's as it's overall, we'd like to see the Amer- America win and, and become more competitive in the event. But you know, that's probably that's why we did so well with tickets at Blackpool last. You know, we had, we had sort of four and a half thousand people over the four days because they want to come and see America get smashed. They don't want to come and see it be a close thing in America win on the last day. But I do understand what you mean that in the end, if, if it becomes one-sided consistently over a long period of time how much value it has but I think it's a long way away from from that question. A question from Big Red was um, I I guess these are people who go come to the event and actually go and support Um, asking why is there no memorabilia now? There are no vendors selling the memorabilia. Uh, Well I mean that's a good good question and and, and it's, it's probably economies of scale. I mean we We've, we've, we did, um, we, we did about four or five years ago when we first came back to the York Hall, we did some, some event merchandise ourselves, which consisted of hats, polo shirts, and T-shirts. And we sold most of it and broke even. So, because, you know, at the end of the day, that, that, that's, that, those are the numbers that came to the event. But I think this year, last year we worked with a company called University who produced the team shirts and they sold them for probably too much money and and, and got some sales but we're working we're going to work with them again this year and they've got they've got a much better idea and attitude to it and i think that when we're in las vegas in december there will be merchandise for sale for, for everybody okay that's good that's good news because i know everybody you know no matter what sporting event you go to you know it's uh it's nice to buy something i call it the disneyland of course effect, yeah i'm sure you yeah uh, I'll buy a pair of those little Mickey Mouse ears for uh, $20 at Disneyland for the kids. They're going to wear once, but I bought them because it was at Disneyland, and I didn't care. I, it was fine. 
Well, if you offered them to me right now for 50 cents, I'd probably uh, rec- uh, decline, decline your offer. Yeah. yeah. Just to play oh, my yeah. way. But so it's, it's, there's a market there. I do believe there's a market there. Um, I think we've talked about this before. This is LV, LV Cash. It's something to do with Elvis and Johnny Cash based on what his thing looks like. Um, and it's, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but in a previous interview, you said something about live music. Um, why is one of the reasons um, ESPN or Fox uh, Sports can't yes, live? Yeah, well, yeah. To, to kind of simplify that, um, in different countries, music used on television shows works differently. In the UK, for example, a TV station like Sky <coughs> will make a one-off payment to what's called the Performing Rights Society, which collects royalties on behalf of songwriters and artists. So they make a, a, a substantial, very large one-off payment to them, which allows them to use any music they like on any show. And then at the end of this, every, every, after every show, they send a list of all the songs they used in, and that gets all the, all the money they put in gets derided pro rata. Now in the States, and so, so when Sky are producing the show, they use whatever music they like. Now, when, when uh, a broadcaster takes a show in the States, it doesn't quite work like that. Often songs have to be individually cleared. So what happens, it, create, it can create lots of issues around the music clearance. So if Sky use walking musical, they show like a montage of the highlights from that rack or Mac, and they play the commercial track over it. If that's in the middle of the program, they can't, the broadcaster taking it live can't take it out because it's, it's live and it's in the middle of the show. Um, so as a consequence, sometimes that can create issues. We, we, try and, we try and work around it, but it can be quite tricky sometimes. But that's just to, to, for people who didn't fully understand how that worked, that's kind of how it works. Okay. Yeah, and I, 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 like I said, I think we talked about it on a previous show, but just wanted to um, add that to the mix of everything else that you said before about, you know, um, working yeah. on TV here in, in the States. It's just it always things add up, you know. It's not uh, just a one problem sol- to solve. There's more than one. Um, there's a good question here, and it's been one that's been asked: Are any UFA players banned? It was said recently that last year's Metrum told last year's Metrum told Mark Wilson he couldn't pick certain players. No, that's categorically not true. There are no players banned. Anybody is qualified to play for, for the American side. I mean, we would certainly wouldn't have told Mark Wilson <coughs> what team he could pick. And, and clearly from the team that he picked, he wasn't probably looking at the at the guys he'd been in the, the year before anyway. But um, Shane aside, but no, there's, there's, no, there's no sort of covert blacklist of American players. Really, no, we Anyone, anyone who does well enough is, is eligible to get into the side. Okay. Um, how about... Well, now I'm going off of the uh, uh, Facebook now. I'm just kind of going off on my own a little bit. Team Europe. I'm missing a coach. Team Johan is done. Of his own accord, obviously. Um any ideas? Is, uh, can you give us any clues to who is going to be the next coach for the European team? Um, we, well, we've, we've had this, this three three players of sort of three three players three people have sort of thrown their hat into the ring. I can't really reveal her, but they've all they're all former Moscone Cup European players have, have put, put their 
put their name forward to um, to take over the role of captaincy for this year. Um, it's something that we'll, we'll probably look at, well, I say nearer the time, probably in, in, in over the next few months, we'll probably look, look to name somebody. But, you know, they're all they're different. You know, Johan was a unique individual and, you know, the sort of guy who could probably... You know, he, he a great, a great motivator and a great coach. He could probably, he could probably coach any team at any sport to a degree, because he's a very powerful, strong individual. And the other guys, they're not Johans; they're different characters who probably bring different things to it. But I'm sure they're all, in their way, capable of doing it, doing a job with the European side. But that's something we'll come up with or name in the next few months, I suspect. So is it definitely not me then? Well, you're not one of the three players you've written in asking for the job, Mike. I mean, you know my address. You can, you're welcome to <laughs> send us your CV. <laughs> um, I, I think whoever gets the job are on a um, uh, kind of a, 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 a sword edge, a edge of a blade kind of thing. They're going to look great uh, if they win. And are people going to say, well, Anybody could coach Team Europe. They're just better than Team USA if they win, right? So it doesn't matter. Your hand um, coached them all these victories. Yeah, I mean, was it I, just because I, the players were better? Well, I suppose the argument was that yeah, when you when Johan took over, you know, the, the Europe were getting beaten every year, and uh, and you know, with roughly the same players, he he, he made them win, and then he made them win again, and uh, so. I think when people say, oh, the, you know, the coach isn't important, it, it clearly is very important. I mean, in, in any team sport, which in Moscow only cuts 10 years, you know, you look at you look at football over there where you are and, you know, the coaches are well-known people who, who are, whose services are much sought after. Well, it's not for no reason that that's the case. And it's the same in, I say, in the Moscone Cup where, you know, Mark did a did a good job last year. And I think I suspect he learned an awful lot of his experiences last year, which will make him um, stronger in 2015. But um, yeah, it, I, I think it, I think it probably might, might be a little bit naive to suggest that the coach doesn't make any difference because I suspect they certainly do. Right. Well, I I don't. Um, you know, I ask you questions from time to time, and I want to. And just make sure I'm putting them out there for everybody else to hear from the horses now. Um, yeah, do sure. we? When do we expect to know the uh, venue? Is it the Mirage, the MGM? You know, where where are we going to book our tickets for? Uh, it's, well, it's 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 Las Vegas, and it's the seventh to the tenth of December. And I'm really hoping that we can get tickets on sale, if not next week, the week after. So we're quite close to announcing the venue. So you're quite close to the venue, but it's not 100% done yet, and we should expect an announcement soon. Okay, well that's that's fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been signed off, but I don't, I don't until until the the other party you know put their put input in. I think uh, I'd rather just keep it to myself. But it, hopefully we'll be able to <coughs> get announce it and get announce it this week and get tickets on sale. Um, or early next week and get tickets on sale shortly afterwards. Okay. Well, I, I think that's all the questions yeah. really that are out there. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Have I uh, covered everything? Or Oh, Michaela, will Michaela be resting? Uh, 
Not sure. Probably not, I suspect. Okay. But she's been a fixture around for a while, and um, she yeah, she's yeah, kind she of didn't, gone didn't off the map. Yeah, she didn't ref She didn't ref the Mustang Cup last year, but no, I suspect she won't be doing it this year either. Okay. Is there any particular reason? I've got to ask. No, you've got to ask, but no, I don't. There, there's uh, no. I think there might be a, an understory, but no, there's not nothing I can really say. But I don't think she'll be refereeing the Mustang uh, Cup this year. So, Mike, is there anything else you think? Have I, what have I missed? Because I know I'm going to hear it from somebody that I didn't ask a certain question from somebody somewhere. Well, the only other question that I had is what what sort of criteria are you planning on using for the wild cards for each team? Is it strictly um, how they perform in events? I mean, is this... Well, Mike DeShane did real well at the U.S. Open, so he deserves to be there. Is it? Are you going to pick players based on, you know, how well they mesh with the team and that sort of thing? Um, well, I mean, with regard to the, the European side, I mean, there's a situation whereby there's a, there's a few European players who don't play, I mean, some of the, not the bulk of them, but probably half the European points are from Euro Tour events, and some of the top players, like Darren or Torsten or Mika or whatever, they don't play in those events, by virtue of the fact they don't live in Europe anymore. Um, so sometimes that can be, like last year, Darren got a wild card, as did Carl Boys. But, I mean, realistically, you're going to be looking at players who are quite close in the rankings, and guys that the captain, you know, might feel, you know, could could do could do a job for him. You know, realistic players who, you know, who've come maybe come on strong in the latter part of the season, won some really big matches at the US Open or something like that, and he just feels they may be a critical part of his team, even though they're not in the top three in the rankings. So, is it going to be? Are the wild cards going to be chosen by the captains, or by you, or by a committee of the two of you? I think it'll be yeah. I think it'll be a you know a consultation. But in the end, if you know if the if the captain wants wants certain two players to be in it, it's, it's, it'd be hard for us to say, oh no, you can't have them. I mean, it's because he's only going to want them in for one reason because he thinks they can help him win the Moscone Cup. So on that basis, it'd be hard for us to to, to veto them. But so I think it will be down to the captain realistically to to pick his. Uh, because two players. Yeah, that, well, that makes that makes sense when you think about it. When you've got, well, I don't know. I guess you, you got Darren who plays. He, he plays overseas all the time as well. Plays in the World and World Championships, all the big events. And is that is he missing the? Um, well, no, he's not missing anything. So he, he plays in those, but yeah. But it was, I mean, yeah, Darren won the Darren won the Chinese eight ball event, which was you know in, in terms of money, it will be the biggest event pool money event of the year. And you know he won that against a really strong field, including some sneaker players, one or two of them who actually could play the game. And you know you, you, you never you're never going to discount discount that. And you know Darren's a very strong player in the Moscow Cup, and he's got an unbelievable track record. But um, it is tough because in Europe there is a sort of embarrassment of riches of you know, very, very, just a whole lot of very good players who could all probably hold their own in the event. So somebody had actually asked me off the, uh, on a phone call the other day, 
uh, about this. And, uh, and when the Moscone Cup began, you had ladies involved. Um, what, is there ever going to, do you think, be a, a, a women excluded from the Moscone Cup at this point? Or they, no. if they can qualify, they're in? No, women aren't excluded. They certainly, but you know, they can, they can, they can qualify via the, the same ranking system as the men. But you know, realistically, that's probably not going to happen on the grounds that not many women players play in those events. But um, no, I think that was when we had when we first when the event first started, it was you know it was a, a kind of a bit of an exhibition event, and it had all sorts of colourful characters in it and. You know, including female players, and, and it kind of worked. But then, uh, you know, as, as the years went by, it became more a bit more got a bit more serious, and then it got really cutthroat. And and in the end, you just have to go with the, what you feel is the best players in those teams now. Last year, how many people? Well, not last year. Don't, don't want to count last year. The last time uh, it was in the states, how many people did you have uh, at the event? Uh, I think we had about. Between on the, in any of the given sessions, we had a, between about six fifty and seven hundred people, uh, and I think for this year we we'd be aiming to get that fairly much higher than that. Obviously, it gives us eight months to work on it, but I think you know we, we we're going to try you know aim for higher than that. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people come over from Europe to to come here to watch it, as opposed to Americans going over there to watch. Yeah, I mean, we we do a lot of Europeans. I mean, it, first of all, it's you know for them, it's it's you know you're going to Las Vegas, which is always a, you know for a lot of people, European people, it's a, that's always a plus one in the plus column. I suspect going to Las Vegas, the timings because it's live on UK TV, it, it, that you know wraps up about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, so you've got the whole of the evening ahead of you. Um, yeah, so and it, there's a bit of a tradition. There's a lot of people who've gone lots of times, um, but. It, the, the makeup of the audience in the states, I and mean, obviously the majority of people in the audience are are American, um, and it's you know it's probably about thirty percent European, twenty five thirty percent European, I suspect. But you know they make a lot of noise and they make they make it, they make themselves known. And uh, but we shall see what happens in December. Yeah, well, I, I think everybody is looking forward to it, no matter what. Is uh, you know the the fact of the matter is people are talking about it. And, and if you're talking about it, it means you care about it, one way or another. You I know, whether so, yeah. it's the format yeah. or anything else. Uh, say no, there's no such thing as bad press. So I believe that's it for this week's edition of the Legends and Champions Report. I am Mark Cantrell. This is American Billiard Radio. Thank you very much, Luke, for your time. We appreciate it, as always. And uh, hopefully we can do this again as we get closer to uh, the to December. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It was my pleasure, and I hope that people who had questions to ask had them answered. And if not, hey, we got some, ask them again got some, time. got some things cleared up, you know, hopefully. So, um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will speak to you next week. This is Ricky Bryant with American Billiard Radio and Q-Talk. Brought to you by Omega Billiards, the home of the original pocket bridge. And my guest today is Pat Devaney of Devaney Q's. Pat, where are you located at? Uh, We're located at uh, West Liberty, Iowa. Uh, 110 West Gibson, West Liberty, Iowa. And 
we have also have a website, uh, DiviniQCUE.com. And, uh, of course, you can get a hold of me on telephone, too. You know, and uh, our, our, all of our contact information is right on our website. Fantastic. Well, how long have you been making cues? Since uh, we've been actually making cues since 1999. Um, I uh, repaired cues probably five years beyond that, which is where I learned most of my, you know, of what we do because... Uh, when you're repairing cues, you learn how cues are made and you know how they're supposed to be made. And then, uh, were you a, a player before, or, or what? What got you interested into making cues? Well, I was a real avid player. I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess you might say, you know, a bar player. But uh, you know, I was a real avid player. And then uh, my son started playing pool, and I actually got away from it. And then uh, he kind of kind of, you might say, drug me back into it, and then we started uh, selling a few cues, and then I started doing some cue work, and pretty soon it just kind of snowballed, and we decided to try to build a cue, and uh, actually turned out pretty good. Well, I know, I'm trying to think if I met you first here at, at Derby City, or if it was out at Super Billiards, I've seen you do some beautiful work, and, and you've been an award winner in the, the people's... I guess it's People's Choice Awards out there for uh, on cues. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we've gotten uh, third place. Uh, I think it was twice, and uh, and fourth place once. And uh, you know, real nice cues, but we lost to some real nice cues too, some beautiful cues. But um, yeah, we uh, we always go to the Super Beards Expo. We go to this tournament. Uh, these are two of our favorites. I think this is probably where you first met me and I you know, was here. And uh, you you go to a number of the uh, amateur tournaments as well, and some of the ones out in the Midwest out your way. The Midwest ones. Uh, we do the Olathe, Kansas uh, Midwest Nine Ball Tour a lot, and uh, we also uh, do ACS tournaments back in Iowa, and and some some local you might say big amateur tournaments back in Iowa area. And then, of course, we do the Illinois State Tournament, ACS, and we do the Iowa ISBA Tournament, and, uh, which is one of the biggest in the, in the country. Well, I know from being in your booth, not only do you, do you have the cues that you make that uh, I'm sitting here looking now, and then you carry cases and, and, and shirts and, and all the, the beard supplies as well. Yeah, uh, we, like to, we like to have something for everybody. You know, I mean... Uh, you know, we like to believe that everybody wants a Pat Divini Q, but not everybody does. You know, I mean, uh, there's, you know, thousands of people out there, and there's thousands of Q makers, and, you know, so we try to carry a variety of cues, even though our main line is my cues. Uh, we try to carry uh, something in a price range that everybody can afford. And then, of course, we have the billiard apparel, too, the hustling gear. We usually carry that. And... Um, and then we have our own uh, Divinity Cues uh, shirts and, uh, of course, cases. We, we carry Voltori cases, and we're the, you know, the national, might say the national dealer on Voltori cases, and um, carry most of all, all buried supplies. And uh, if a person was ordering a custom queue, and I know it depends on how customized they want it, about 
what type of, of wait time or would they expect ordering a queue from you? I know it depends on time of year and that time, but kind of give us an estimate about... Well, uh, up to about three months ago, you would only have a couple of months wait. Uh, now, right now, you're probably looking at seven months wait and uh, maybe even longer. But uh, our orders since November have just went through the roof and... Uh, well, I'll be honest about it, we got to get back home and get some work done. And uh, we've got several more tournaments to do, and we've also got to get cues done for those tournaments. And, you know, it's uh, a little bit nerve-wracking right now. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing. I see uh, when I'm covering uh, pro events, I see a number of the pros uh, playing with your cues, and, and they've got the uh, sponsor patch on their shirt, and they're playing with your cues. Uh, can you tell us uh, a few of the players that we can be looking for shooting with your things? Well, if I can remember them all myself, uh, John Hennessy uh, with John Penninger, uh Ike Ronald, uh, you know, um, gee, uh, Bobby McGrath, uh, and Warren, or not Warren Temko, but uh, Lee Van Corteza, Carlo Beato, um, Jesse Hudeman, uh, then we've got um, Onacio and Raymond, uh, I can't think of his last name now, but they're both Filipino that, that just come into the country. Yeah. Oh, Skyler Woodward. <laughs> you know, he's a, yeah, him and John Hannessy are our two, I'm sure, you know, I wouldn't want to forget Skyler because he's, he's, you know, the greatest kid there is, you know. And then um, Santos Sambajon, uh, gee, and I know I forgot some. Um, you know, uh, I got one out of Arizona, too. And, you know, I, uh, I can't well, remember that. Well, I, I, it's, it's amazing the number of, of, like I said, pro players, and I'm sure that's also sparked a lot of people to want to, to play with with your cues is they see how good these guys are doing and then they know that that they know a quality product when they've got it in their hand and and players want one as well yeah yeah absolutely and uh you know that's the one thing that uh that we're pretty proud of um you know we've got a number of great players and we've never pursued any of them they've come to us you know and uh that's that means a lot to us, you know, that uh, they come to us and want to, want to play our equipment. And I noticed uh, when I was watching uh, uh, John Panger, or Hennessy, as some of us know him, um, was using an extension on his cue, and that's something that I think that's relatively new uh, that you're doing. Yeah, we just started building those, and, uh, and uh, my son, my actually my son Danny builds them. Uh, you know, he's got... He also builds cues. Uh, Brian, my other boy, he builds jump cues and that, but he also builds cues. But it's something, those are two things that I just really don't have time to do, and so they, they kind of took that uh, that job on, and uh, they're doing a very good job of it, and uh, yeah, and we can make them to fit any of our cues, too. Uh, do you do any specialty cues, jump breaks, jumps, or anything else? Absolutely. We, uh, make, we make a lot of jump breaks. Uh, we brought four of them down here, sold them all. Wish I had ten. Um, but um, we also make jump cues. Uh, Brian makes the jump cues, and uh, you know, 
somebody wants an overlength skew, we took an order this weekend for a 31 inch, but you know we can do that. It's no problem. Well, fantastic, and uh, I'm sure that you probably, you, I know you make great shafts yourself, but if a person wanted an aftermarket shaft, y'all did offer that as well with your cues? We offer any hybrid shaft that's on the market and is available, you know, we can get them, and uh, we use a lot of Jacoby shafts, they're, they're good friends of ours, uh, they do great work, and uh, we also make our own hybrid shaft. And, uh, and it hits just like the rest of them. And, uh, of course, we have uh, predators available, uh, tigers, uh, OBs. Uh, we have them all. You know, and, and, and we can make them all to fit our cues if that's what the person wants. Fantastic. Well, have we uh, missed anything in your product line or anything special? You want to tell us that, that you think special about your cue designs or anything? Um, well, just mostly that our cue de designs are traditional. You know, uh, we like we like to stay keep it down to earth. We like our uh, the, the old old school look, and uh, we like using woods. And we do a lot of a lot of ring work. We don't do a lot of hand lays. We can we can do whatever you want, but uh, it's just not us. You know, I mean, uh, uh, we build a custom cued or whatever the guy wants, but if we build them to sell, you know, we, we keep it old school, so that's what we have. Well, fantastic, and I appreciate you taking the time today to be with us here on American Billiard Radio and Q Talk. This is Ricky Bryant signing off.